Thanks to SheLens Consulting for sponsoring this episode of Latina South. Through their work with organizations like the Latin American Chamber of Commerce and Latino Community Fund of Georgia, SheLens helps organizations deliver culturally relevant entrepreneurship programs in both English and Spanish. Visit SheLens.com to find out more. Hola, I'm Adela Yelton, and thank you for joining us at Latina South. Latina South welcomes friendly conversations with Latinas and friends who live, work, and play throughout the South and Southeast. We'll enjoy some savory bits of wisdom while we share about what it takes to thrive in life while holding on to the best of what makes us Latinas in the South. Welcome. As young people, your, your job right now is to put in a lot of work. And for me, I, I tell them I, I see that as the investment. You have to invest in yourself first by putting in the work, by doing the best job that you can. And when, and when you're young, I always tell them, you don't have to sleep. <laughs> Today we welcome, in the first of two episodes, Powerhouse Latina, Brenda Lopez-Romero. Brenda made history in 2016 when she became the very first Latina elected to the Georgia General Assembly. Born in Mexico, she came to the U.S. at age five and became a U.S. citizen in 2008. Let's listen as Brenda talks about how it feels to be among the first and the few. She shares her personal story, like that of her father's, as one of responsibility and hard work from a very young age. She also talks about what we can do to offer young people exposure to the places where decisions are made, helping to build experience in the future leaders of our community. Brenda, thank you so much. Uh, welcome to Latina South. I appreciate you being here. Well, it's always a pleasure, Adela, to speak with you, and I'm excited about our conversation. I understand that you were born in Cuernavaca, Mexico, and came to the U.S. when you were five years old. What are your memories from your time as a child coming to the U.S.? One of my youngest memories that I do have is is being here in the United States and going to kindergarten, um, only because it was somewhat of a traumatic experience. But my connection to uh, culturally, of course, it came from family, speaking Spanish at home and um, learning how to speak well. And eventually, as I got older, reading and writing as well was um, something that my father insisted on and said that it was necessary. And then, of course, a lot of it has been then more as a young person that, that started going to visit and reading, you know, one on one of my uh, trips about this really great book about the general history of, of Mexico. That's really where, where a lot of my connections and then just simply growing up in community here that actually rooted me more uh, within that cultural context. And you mentioned that kindergarten was a traumatic experience for you. In what way? I say that because uh, having only spoken Spanish at that point, um, when I started in kindergarten, I didn't speak English. And my very first memory of school, it wasn't necessarily my first day, it was at the, you know, but towards the beginning of it, was um, having to use the, the restroom but not being able to ask. And so I ended up having an accident in school. And sort of what I remember about that is really 
the expressions, the facial expressions of the teacher and kind of basically being dragged out of the room. And, and I say dragged out because she was, you know, kind of grabbing me by the arm and walking me rather briskly. She looked very upset, right? Where in hindsight, of course, then I didn't understand. I was just, of course, as could be imagined, embarrassed and just didn't know what to do. But in hindsight, I think that there would have been better ways to handle it than sort of the, the expression that she provided. Uh, funny enough, that is the first memory I have of school. And it definitely left an impression on you, even without, you know, having the language at that point, there were still ways that were communicated by facial expressions and, and just the whole experience. And, and you mentioned also kind of uh, learning about the general history of Mexico. What point did you become curious about it? Well, I would say I benefited from from the fact my, my father raised me since I was seven, and he used to tell me simply a lot of his stories about his upbringing. Um, he grew up in a city called Tasco, which is still about an hour and a half away from Cuernavaca. Um, he would just tell me a lot of stories about what he used to do, um, obviously a lot of the difficulties he had to experience. Do you have a favorite story that your father shared with you? The, the story that I remember the most even at a young age, was the fact that uh, he had been working since a young person, similar to my age at that time, right? As a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, 90-year-old, he had the responsibility to go take the, you know, goats out in the morning pre-dawn, right? And, um, and make sure that they go and, and fed out and make sure that he returned them. And I remember that because, you know, he was literally my age. He was talking about me sitting as I was sitting there listening to him of what he had to do. And and that he said that at the beginning when he started doing that, he was, of course, scared because it was dark and countryside. So there's like animals. But it's just sort of what you had to do. Right. It's part of the your your, your growing up and your responsibilities that you have in, in, in that household. I, with that, there was a story where he lost one goat <laughs> and uh, he was concerned about coming back because he was, of course, afraid to, to get in trouble because he couldn't find it. And eventually he did come back and he had his uh, sibling go with him, uh, an older sibling, go with him to look for this goat that eventually they found. So it's just I think that that is one of the stories that I remember is most impactful, again, mainly because I really connected the fact that he was doing those things um, at the same age that I was when he was telling me about it. So you were able to identify with his personal experiences, and I can see uh, some similarities with some of your experiences as well, uh, especially given that he had such a big responsibility at a young age. Let's talk more about some of those uh, big responsibilities. And we're going to fast forward a little bit. Uh, for you and personally, there's a theme of being the first. As I understand it, you were the first in your family to graduate from high school, the first in your family to graduate from college. Uh, you went on to receive your law degree from Syracuse University. Tell me more about being the first. How does that feel? It's a difficult situation to be first or few anywhere, right? And when we came here to Georgia, particularly here and even in the metro Atlanta area was in the early early 90s. And we were the, the beginning of the influx of the Latino community coming here to, to the state. And so when I went to start a school and I eventually picked up some amount of English, I was one of the few Latino students, but there was such a quick growth prior to the Olympics because of the need um, for 
primarily uh, construction at that point, and then some of the service industries during and post the the Olympics, that we swelled in numbers in terms of both the Latino community, but also the API community. And so I went from being one of the few and only Latino students to increasing and increasing numbers of, of students. Eventually, I had learned some amount of English to help them. And so to a certain extent has been a reoccurring theme, as you mentioned, even even as a young girl. One of the things with the education side and being the first in my family to to progress educationally to college, to law school, was something, again, that, you know, my father said that there had two options in life. You know, I could work like him or I could go to school and and do some do something better for myself. It's always felt somewhat of um, a responsibility obligation of the hardships and troubles that my family, particularly my father, has gone through that it was almost it seemed like a requirement that I try to be do as well as I could. You know, on one hand, I would say it helps give you motivation and it gives you drive and it pushes you. But on the other hand, you know, it is it becomes a burden that you feel this responsibility externally um, to be representative of a whole community. And that's, that's always difficult. And I and come to, to remind myself that, that I am not, that I can't, don't, and I can't, and I won't speak necessarily or represent a whole community because there's, there's so much variety and there's so many people that have plenty of things to say and plenty of other opinions. But it's still the reality is that when you are one of the only, or the again, or the the only or the few, um, there there is that responsibility, right? Whether we try to avoid it or we try to change it, it's still there. It's been a good and a bad thing. Like I said, it, it, I know that that's given me a drive to say that you know I I have to do these things because someone has to, right? And um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's like, well, why do I have to? <laughs> that burden be, is is a very real thing that will resonate with many of our listeners. And as you mentioned. I know that's not everyone's experience, but it is an experience for many. So having said that, right, that you are in a a very uh, small group, unique group that are, in my opinion, pioneers, right? You're pushing ahead. You're paving the way for many others to come behind you. And, and Brenda, you're still early in your career. And by the way, we're not finished talking about the first. You were also, in 2016, you were the very first Latina elected to the Georgia State Legislature. What is, how do you, and you mentioned it being a challenge and a burden at times, although I'm sure it's a very rewarding experience. Otherwise, how do you keep moving forward? For you, what keeps you moving forward? That's the on the other hand, right? That it, it's very humbling. It it truly is um, to know that you can push through things. Precisely, again, for me, the reason that it's humbling because, or I have gotten to do whatever it is that I do with the support of many people and many people that have had faith in me that have had the best of, of, of wishes for me. It's humbling to a certain extent to be able to accomplish and give back in a sense to, to what was provided to me first from a family side, right? And the foundational support of family. But, you know, I've had some great teachers and then eventually mentors throughout my, um, my early, well, my educational career. And then now, as you mentioned earlier on in in my profession. And so it has been with the support of too many people and too many people that I am in debt um, to for a host of different advice and guidance. Even, for example, when I was doing an internship and 
then with the Southern Education Foundation and the uh, president, uh, Lynn Huntley, she knew that, or we had discussed about going to, to law school. And she had been one of the first few African-American females at Columbia Law and one of the first few African-American law graduates as well. And and so, you know, she would tell me about her difficulties and experiences that she had then as well. She asked me, you know, when was I going to do this LSAT prep? And I was like, well, you know, I... I'm, I'm I'm working and so I'm saving money and I'll I'll do that later. At that time, I, the cost of the program was sixteen hundred dollars, and uh, I've always worked full time and gone to school full time and to help with household expenses and my own personal expenses. Uh, sixteen hundred dollars wasn't something that I necessarily had to just pay, you know, a, a prep program. The next day I came in and she calls me into her office and, and, and with a good friend of hers uh, that has was also involved in a lot of civil rights uh, work and particularly on the legal front. And they were like, well, you don't have any more excuses. Here's, you know, the start dates and the dates for your LSAT prep program because they went ahead and had purchased the program for me. You know, and it's those those individuals throughout my life that really have created all the legacy of anything that I may, may have done or may do in the future. That's why I'm always humbled by the being able to what would seem to others as an accomplishment when when you say that you're you know the first Latina elected that didn't happen because you know Brenda woke up one day and and said I'm running for office and then I just did stuff and and did things on my own that happened over well over uh, two decades of different people investing at different points in my life and so I always know that I'm whatever it is that I accomplish is in debt and then, and of course gratitude to those people that have helped me along the way so you do have uh, mentors and a community of supporters behind you that help you and encourage you and push you forward and uh, but you also have that internal drive <laughs> that we all see you know when you talk about mentorship and the community of supporters and and thank you for sharing the one story that even that small act, it may be small for some, but for you, it was huge and made a huge impact. What would you say to others that that might be looking for that same support network? I mean, is it something that you feel like you've built for yourself or that uh, people approach you, tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, how can I help you? Well, one of the things I do speak to a lot of middle school and high schoolers, and I do talk to them about that. This, the reality is that you do have to be present to win. Part of the reason that I know, especially as as a young person and and during during my education career, that I have had those opportunities of finding these really great mentors is because I did try to be present. I tried to be actively involved in organizations as a volunteer, um, tried to do as many internships as possible that I could find. Um, I would ask Right. I, w- I would ask whether it was uh, someone that I felt close, like a teacher or such, you know, how, how can I do this or what do I do? And I tried also to to do a good job at whatever it is that I was doing. Right. Whether it was my classes, whether it was the internships that I participated in, um, whether it was the volunteer work that I did. And it didn't matter if they told me, you know, to go make copies or if they uh, told me to whatever work I was assigned, I, I, I tried to do exceed as much the expectations that, that, that were given to me. And I would say that that has been one of the reasons that, um, again, especially as a young person, I, I think I did garner some of that network and support that I ultimately received. And so 
I think earlier on in my life that that is true, right? You have to be present and you have to um, be doing a good job and you have to be in the places where you can find those networks. So that's is when I speak to the middle schoolers and high schoolers and even some college students, you know, people are not going to find you in your sofa. People are not going to find you, you know, at the movies. Uh, so, you know, these are not the places if you're looking to to grow and, and, and develop a network and, and find mentors. So you have to be there present and be willing to put in whatever work is necessary to put in and um, and try to do as best of a job as you can. I think that I've always had that inclination to try to do more. If I was given one set of responsibilities, I tried to get include more responsibilities or do more. If they asked me to do one thing, I'd ask, I'd finish it and I would say like, well, what else can I do? And so I think that that definitely helped earlier on. And I would say that after a while, particularly, I would say these last maybe three or so years, that has translated a little bit more into people then start reaching out to you, right, without you necessarily having to put in all that work and time and, and dedication. And then they start reaching out to you for, for other opportunities that you they find you might be there helpful in, in, again, process of doing work or simply being able to participate. So I, I think it's something that builds up over time. And, and, and as when, when I'm talking to young people, I always do tell them as young people, your, your job right now is to put in a lot of work. And for me, I, I tell them, I, I see that as the investment. You have to invest in yourself first by putting in the work, by doing your, the best job that you can. And when, and when you're young, I always tell them, you don't have to sleep. <laughs> Take advantage of the energy while you have it. Exactly. So, you know, and eventually it, you know, it's sometimes, not always, sometimes it gets slightly easier to, to have those individuals reach out to you or have individuals be willing to, to support you along the way. One quote that you say sometimes is, if you're not at the table, you are likely on the menu. And let's put it side by side with your experience in serving in the Georgia State Legislature. What can you tell us more about your service in the le- legislature and maybe some lessons learned for you during that time? Well, I'll start with the lessons learned is the need still to continue to bring people forward, right? To bring people to the table, uh, to give them some access and opportunity to be able to make it to that table. You know, in 2016, as, as you mentioned, I was the first Latina. And we're talking about 2016 when since 2010, the state of Georgia has been has had a 10 percent, close to 10 percent Latino population. And so six years later, to have the first Latina to a certain extent, is not a sub- celebratory thing. Like I understand why people sometimes say it is is as an accomplishment or as a celebrate a celebrating kind of thing, but um, at the same time, it made me uncomfortable because we shouldn't keep waiting so long for a first person, let alone mm-hmm. that that one person is not representative of ten percent of the population. That being said, but when when I went and stepped into the state legislature and. Even though I had gone as a volunteer um, since college here and there any given day when we were advocating usually against uh, what we considered anti-immigrant legislation, I don't think at that time I realized who we were talking to in terms of the composition, in terms of like, are they representative of the state of Georgia? I was just there as a volunteer learning as well and trying to figure out what I was supposed to do as a volunteer. But I would say that once I got elected and I walked in and you walk on the chamber and you realize that that is not representative of the state of Georgia, 
I took it upon myself to continue to do some work that I did similarly already regarding having a pipeline, particularly of the next generation of leadership, young people to start going to the Capitol. And I would say that that is probably what I would say missed the most and or was of greatest impact to me and that I could have done as in terms of impact for others, which the reason that is because you just had to see it in the eyes of these young kids, right? When they, when we, we usually had a two day training, one day was just sort of like, what are you going to do here at the Capitol? And then the next day we tried to do half a day of doing a tour around the Capitol and showing them the place. And I could see it in their eyes where they walk in, some of them in awe because they've never even stepped in the state Capitol before. Some of them a little bit intimidated lots of concern. And some of them would voice it like, well, you know, we don't know what we're doing. What if, you know, we do something wrong? I'm like, that's the only way I've ever done anything, right? By not knowing what I'm doing and making mistakes along the way. And it's just, you know, we all don't know what we're doing, but we just have Mm -hmm. to be here and we have to put in the work. And so to go seeing them from that, where they were not confident enough to speak to a legislator, to see them go between that And before we finish it, it's only technically a 40-day legislative session. It's not a calendared one, but it's about about two months and a half. So between that start of seeing a group of eight young people a little bit concerned about what they were doing to less than, you're probably 30 days in, see them walk in with the confidence to just walk in laughing, to sit down and work on their laptops in any corner that they could find, to running up to a legislator and saying, hey, you know, where's this bill? And, you know, are don't or do support it. Or, you know, please talk to this advocacy group or this person that's here to talk to you because they want to talk to you about this bill that's, you know, in your committee. And from them to be able to run around from committee to committee and know where they're going. Basically, they walked in like they owned the place, which is how they should have always felt since the first day they walked in. Mm-hmm. And so for me to see that transformation in such a short amount of time, and the only thing that made that transformation was the fact that they were there. That's it. But they were given the opportunity to just be there and have the experience and realize that everyone that's there, the lobbyists, the uh, the elected, they're all people and some people that are, um, you know, better than others. And and then, you know, it, funny enough, sometimes they would say, well, if, if that person's elected, then I can be elected too, you know? <laughs> You, you you learn very quickly what the baseline is. It's like, That's well, right. okay, if they're here, then I can be here too, plus more. <laughs> exactly. And so for me, that that made all the difference in the world that it with both what we mentioned before, the what feels like the burden, what feels like pressure, what feels like um, expectations to meet, all of those things, the, those moments when I saw them walk in, like they were just walking into the front door of their house, like that made all the difference of being there. And that gave me the motivation and the purpose to continue being there, despite, of course, my own personal um, difficulties that it is between uh, either running for office and or being elected and are also still working for a living. And um, and then again, just the, the, the overall responsibilities. So that's, that made all the difference for me. And, and when yeah. I saw them 
it made me again get up the next day. And the reality is because they they also motivate you just with energy, right? They're excited. They have ideas. They, they're innovative. And so, you know, they were excited to work. And it doesn't matter if, you know, if it was at seven in the morning or at three in the morning when I sent them a message, they were always available. And so, you know, if they were willing to work, then that meant I had to work as well. You talk about bringing people to the table and that's what you did. And and even in such a short period of time, there was a huge development that happened uh, for these young people. And that's very hopeful, for sure. Very hopeful for the future. You know, regardless of where you are, right, in terms of profession, career, industry, whatever it is that you do, I think particularly for us as, as, as a Latino community and, and particularly here in the state of Georgia, because most of anybody that's doing anything, it really is the only or the few. Um, that's just the reality that we live in, in, in the state of Georgia currently as of 2021. That's why for me, it's so important to, to bridge those opportunities and that access to young people, right? Because it really is uh, those people that are coming to age and to becoming young professionals or that are starting college. It's basically that that level of generation that will continue to push so that it becomes less and less a, few, a only few. But there's a need, there's so much need to be able to have guidance. And so regardless of, again, career industry, I think everyone can do the same thing. Uh, I have heard and I have seen many a times people that um, are more, a little bit more established or have started their careers, either two things, right? I mean, I've heard it personally would say, well, you know, no one helped me and I figured it out on my own. And, uh, you know, no one gave me opportunities. I had to work for everything. I don't think that's true, but I understand what they mean. So there's, you know, there's that. And then, uh, you know, I've also heard on the other hand, they don't have a full trust in young people, right? To be able to do the work or to be able to be responsible enough or, that maybe they're not ready to, to, to take part in things because they don't have experience doing something. And for me, that's even worse because I'm like, well, how is someone supposed to have experience if you don't let them do things? Um, mm-hmm. And when you know, they don't have a family background that can tell them, hey, this is a friend of mine and my friend, you know, friend of the friend, a friend of the family is going to help you get into a job. So for those of us like myself, and that's very true for a lot of people here in the state of Georgia that come from low income families that don't have both the educational access and also the professional access, that's hard, right? And so I, so, so I say that to say that regardless of whatever we, we are doing um, in our own lives, we always should bring along young people. Precisely because they don't have experience, but they mm-hmm. do have the willingness to do the work. I have been nothing but um, my expectations surpassed by majority of the young people that are there willing to put put in the work. And so I think that all of us should take it upon ourselves to make sure that we are providing support for those that have slightly less experience than us, if it's already that because they're already working in our industry, but particularly for young people that are in, in, in college or that are in high school, letting them know. The other thing is, you know, something that we know frequently is that you can't know what you can do or what's available unless you see it, right? It's very hard. And mm-hmm. so just simply going and talking to people about what they do, what you do uh, for, for a living or what your process was like and what your experiences were, I think makes, makes a world of difference as well. You know, because uh, guess what? We're not going to live forever. I mean, we're trying to build something, build infrastructure that's going to outlast us. And um, so what you're saying makes sense. 
And there we pause the first of two episodes of our interview with Brenda Lopez Romero. Be sure to listen to the second episode where Brenda reveals some critical lessons learned while running for U.S. Congress in Georgia, a process she says she could only learn from by trying it herself. And thank you for listening to us on Latina South. And I want to thank some people that helped this show happen behind the scenes, like Jennifer Hutchison on social media. And thank you to the OGs who offer their music to us called Hire. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Also, please share this episode with a friend or leave a review. It's one of the best ways to support our show. Hasta la próxima. See y'all.